0: Welcome to the Season 7 finale of the supermercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Once again, this is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Today, it's Episode 175, Matt Furnace. We are so excited for this finale of our seventh season. As you guys may know if you're a fan of the podcast, one of the traditions that we like to do every 25 episodes, uh, we have a little bit of a, what we call finale of that current season. Season. and uh, for pretty much every single season, right, where well, we've kept this tradition going, we've interviewed exactly. a video game composer. Yeah, I
0: think the only one that we didn't do that was when we had our 100th episode, right. we did the special sort of video mm-hmm. bonus episode, but we have had at least one interview with a video game composer mm-hmm. in every single season. Which
1: is really fun, and today I'm really excited because, like Will said up top, today uh, is all about the music, the career of Matt Furness, and what's so cool about that is a lot of you guys will know that name if you're a fan of 16-bit music, specifically Specifically, the Sega Genesis. Right. And anyone who knows me knows that the Sega Genesis is really just my wheelhouse when it comes to video game music. So, totally. The name Matt Furnace is a name I was familiar with ever since the inception well, of the podcast. And so that's fun. The thing that's that's fun. Is I think it's great
0: having this episode at this point in our podcast history right. because really, if you are a fan of the show, you will have heard plenty mm-hmm. of great Matt Furnace music. But he is a composer that he's not necessarily someone that we would play on the very first episode of the show you know right. it's like there's so many great um video game composers but he definitely
1: is one that we're huge fans of and, yeah, and there's featured really, a lot on our podcast especially when you talk about on the western side of things in the 16-bit era there was nobody more prolific than him on the genesis if you actually go on his wikipedia page and look at his gamography it's absolutely insane how many games he worked on some that you guys may know uh pugsy mickey mania alien 3 the lost vikings and many many more so yeah it's just crazy how much um this guy did specifically for the Genesis. He did work on games for other systems such as the Amiga and the C64, a little bit on the Super Nintendo, and a little bit kind of bleeding into the 32 bit era. But the Genesis is really kind of where he made a name for himself. So, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to play a handful of tracks uh, up top here to kind of introduce anyone who's not familiar with kind of Matt's style to his music. And then we're going to sit down and talk with Matt later on. And then after that, we're going to play a handful of more tracks to kind yeah. of close off the episode. So, to be
0: sort of a, a comprehensive episode, but both featuring his music and interviews where we can sort of sit down and discuss with him about his music and his whole process and background to composing and everything. So it's really going to be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. And this episode is going to be just full of uh, really awesome, expressive music. Uh, so yeah, what you guys heard up top, that was a track from European Club Soccer for the Genesis, a perfect play track. And now we're going to move on um, to Wiz in Liz, which is a soundtrack again for the Sega Genesis. Um, and we'll talk about this later on, but this is actually one of the soundtracks that was given to us as a, as a bit of inspiration for this uh, project that we recently worked on. The developer of that game, it, you know, cited this specific soundtrack as right. something ca- that he kind of wanted. So let's take a listen to the track called Home from Wiz and Liz, composed by Matt Furness. <laughs> this track you guys are listening to home from wiz and liz for the sega genesis composed by the very prolific matt furnace this is so cool will what are your thoughts about uh, the first track of the day here
0: I really like it. I think it sets a very fitting, exciting, fun, poppy, classic video game music energy to it, which is something that I really think Matt Furnace always brings to the mm-hmm. table. It's that kind of thing that we really miss in video games, this very fun, unapologetic, poppy experience. Uh, this track is really special to listen to because, like you mentioned, you know, we, we listened to Wiz and Liz when we were... Um, coming up with the music for that recent project that we had been working on. And so both in sort of the sounds of the instruments and particularly the uh, drums, it, mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me all of, all of that, uh, that project. Yeah.
1: No, one thing that I love about Matt's music, um, you know, in, on the Genesis especially, is... It's so groove centric You know It's just some of the most Like groovy And rhythmically interesting Genesis music That you'll ever hear Yeah Um, And he really kind of Adopts his own style And I think it was Partly due to his background And the fact that He's working on the system And trying to Use the FM channels To technically make something that sounds very impressive and that sounds um, very kind of technological and exciting, but matching that with uh, really solid music. Something
0: I think is kind of cool about this track, just something to note, um, in that sort of B section... Uh, The use of those metallic settings Mm -hmm. for the FM on the Genesis is is really kind of effective. It really sounds like a bell, both in sort of the the timbre of it, but also the nature of how its resonance just sort of
1: sustains and the decay takes a long time for it to sort of fade out. Awesome. Well, now we're going to move on to another Genesis soundtrack. This is so good. This is Alien 3. Uh, This is one of the series. There's a lot of these games I can think of, these these series based on movies, where there's so many different versions and so many different ports, all with pretty much their own music and soundtrack. This Genesis version was composed by Matt Furness. And we're going to take a listen to the main title, which I believe we featured on our title screen episode way back in season one. For me, it's a classic 16-bit track. Let's take a listen to the main title from Alien 3. 3. an awesome track. You guys are listening to the main title from Alien 3 for the Genesis composed by Matt Furness. And this track is a great kind of showcase of what is so unique about his music on the Genesis. Really, when you're talking about Western composers, his stuff is almost the most polished. I can't think of another Western composer on the Genesis that makes music that sounds this pleasing to the ear. You get a lot of shrill, kind of piercing stuff. Um, when I think of this kinds of sounds, I think of Japanese composers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely something that I know that Matt, he was definitely very inspired by some of the the classic Japanese well, I also composers think Matt is is very
0: aware of what he's composing for you know yeah. I mean he has such a strong background as a programmer that I think he's always sort of aware of the Sort of the elements of the machine that he's working on mm-hmm. and I think he really is one of the people who helps sort of push the boundaries of in this case the Genesis to really sound more like instruments or in times to really Perfect the sound of the synthesizer music in a way that's always pleasing. You're right. Mm-hmm. You know, he never brings sort of harsh-sounding instruments well, into a shrill register. Yeah, there's anything.
1: there's harsh moments and there's pretty moments. I think what I, what I like about it is musically, the instruments are matching what what the song needs. And, and you know, in right. every sense of the word, like. He's almost like writing for those specific instruments. You know right. what I'm it, saying? Yeah, it, it almost feels like idiomatically mm-hmm. created
0: for those individual... And yeah, you do get the effect of an instrument. Because, you know, when you have something with sort of a soft attack and a more warmer timbre, it almost kind of sounds like a some sort of string instrument. But you hear these plucky sounds. Yeah. And it really does more sound like it's trying to capture that digital, ethereal thing. And then also just sort of the hard panning of sort of the 16th note delay happening mm-hmm. in each channel. And you can sort of to choose to look at it as like an individual line with delay or the way the effect of it musically is that's
1: which is just it's so effective it's very cool yeah he's just his music is just cool that's really the easiest way to describe it yeah
0: the the other thing i like is as you mentioned kind of how his stuff can be really like groovy and and fun but Mm -hmm. it's able to always sort of fit into the pocket of classic old school game music style, but it's not necessarily the same one right. in each case. You know, I mean, going back to Wiz and Liz, this track is really nothing like that track mm-hmm. we played from Wiz and Liz, but they both feel just it's like such a celebration of the era in which they were composed and it also goes to show you know matt is someone who's very aware of other composers in this time both eastern and western composers
1: right um very good point now we're going to move on to a couple different soundtracks that are kind of departures musically from i get i would consider you know the classic furnace style one is um a game called sega chess and this is for the master system kind of an obscure choice but there was this little gem of a track called white winds so that's the colors of the of the the Pawns here. Um, And it's just a cool little track that I really kind of enjoy to hear when a composer specifically goes for a different style or genre than they normally do. And I think it's really a success uh, in this track. This is White Winds from Sega Chess, composed by Matt Furness. to a quirky little piece called White Winds from Sega Chess for the Master System composed by Matt Furness. Really interesting change of pace. Uh, I wanted to play at least one kind of more uh, obscure choice, not from the Genesis. We have one more track later today that is also not from the Genesis, but most most of the music today is from the Genesis. You know what I love here is that he's using that arpeggiator not
0: for the effect of filling out harmony. Mm -hmm. I mean, to some extent, but for the most part, he's using it to add an entirely out of this world timbre. Mm-hmm. You know, it really gives it its own character. Bling, 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 bling. It's goofy, it's so goofy and mm-hmm. really plucky. It feels like something that would be right at home in like a Looney Tunes cartoon, even though it's completely, uh, it's completely created out of this synthesizer and mm-hmm. really sounds like a th- synthesizer. Somehow, just emotionally, the character of it is very funny and very yeah. accessible and approachable. And I think it's something that some of my favorite um western composers really utilize which is where they're not
1: afraid to let their music sound like it was made on the system that it was made for i think you that's know? one of the that's one of the biggest strengths of any video game composer uh it doesn't matter what system they're working on when you're writing for you can the system embrace it, especially yeah. in this era when there's very clear limitations mm-hmm. and there's very Absolutely. clear genres of music that don't work well right you know there's a lot of things that just aren't going to work on the master system but there's a lot of things that will work really well so it's a matter of writing something that is going to showcase that in the best light possible totally so now we're going to move on to definitely my favorite soundtrack that matt worked on in this era and probably what he's uh i would say most known for this is the game pugsy for the sega genesis a wonderful soundtrack Honestly, in some ways we could have only played pugsy tracks today because they're just they're so good. We're gonna play four tracks from the soundtrack in total today. We're gonna to play two first uh, up top and then we're actually going to go to that interview with Matt and then after that we'll play two more um, and then kind of finish out the episode after that. So the first track we're gonna to play today from Pugsy is a track called The Beach. Let's take a listen.) Wonderful track. You guys are listening to The Beach from Pugsy, composed by Matt Furness. A very feel good, nostalgic. Wonderful piece of music. Yeah, I love a, a song like this because
0: you can really tell this was composed on a keyboard instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it, it feels so natural. You can just hear sort of the hand running through some of those melodic runs. Sure. And I, I, I especially love the use of the instrument settings, uh, particularly that intro riff, which really sounds like it's being whistled, mm-hmm. which I think is perfect for sort of the swung, positive... Um, nature of this track is particularly just when focusing on the chord progression because it has that wonderful effect where it's just sort of moving up scale steps Mm -hmm. as far as the chords but it's also retaining that pedal pitch of the first chord. In this case not really in the bass but it's still sort of filled out there. So for example let's say we're talking about something in C major so it's like you'd go from a C major to a D minor but in one octave you would still keep the C there through each chord movement which it really has this sort of dreamy, fun, uplifting, and also it's something that kind of is, is
1: used in beach
0: music or tropical right. music like, all the time. Well, I mean, we even did that, and uh, we recently composed that track "Surfing at mm-hmm. Sunset." Yeah, um, which it's uses something a similar that you hear
1: in Mario Kart soundtracks all the yeah. time. I, it just—it always feels so good. And, and but this is a, an example, and the soundtrack is is a very good example of this, where I hear a lot of beach music on the Genesis, where all it is is just those gimmicks and just those cliches, right. or without any of the heart. Yeah. Whereas this track, yes it features some of those, I guess you could say, cliches of beach music, especially in this era, but there's a lot of interesting musical things happening, and every right. single section goes to a, a different well, place. And, and I
0: think the important thing to mention is, yes this takes
1: place on the beach,
0: but I think in a lot of games, the beach level is definitely not the first level. Right. So it's sort of serving this ancillary function, where something that's good about this, in addition to being at the beach and having those tropical elements or those feel-good kind of summertime fun energy uh it also has to serve the function of this is the first level theme mm-hmm. so it needs to be that hooky melody that you know you hear every time you play the game that yeah. hooky melody that keeps you coming
1: back to want to play again and again i believe it's the first stage i know on the soundtrack it's listed as the first stage theme um but now we're going to move on to probably my favorite track in the soundtrack uh this is just such a classic genesis track for me this is the cove from pugsy let's take a listen to this a sign of a great piece of music is something that sticks with you. And it feels like you just heard it. We didn't, we haven't played this for a long time. Uh, show until 11, uh, was the only time we've only played this track once on the podcast yeah. but it feels like a classic track yeah. that we've played multiple times but we really haven't this is the cove from pugsy it's so wonderful i'm a really big fan of the form yeah. how it starts off you know without the drum beat and then once that drum beat comes in and then we have a key change here uh-huh. which i remember singing the praises of that in that show and tell episode right the fact that it's genesis track has a key change and then when it loops um it, it has a really interesting way of getting back there getting back right. to the original Those key. So, totally. you know, as far as using form um, to kind of mask a loop, you know, one of the limitations you have in this era is you, has, you have to have a loop. You know, so it's like, how can you do something musically to make it feel like it's a purposeful choice? Well, th- the thing that I love
0: so much about this track is the, to me, like the first phrase, the da 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 da. It's very classical. Um, th- th- that, it feels classical, but it also feels completely original. You yeah. Know, fresh compositional material. It's very fresh. But the fresh. end of the phrase, da 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 da. da it, it almost feels like it's like playing off some sort of old musical cliche and what i so love about that mm-hmm. it, it makes the music feel a little bit like self aware and it feels like you're getting this great melody but in a way that's not so earnest that it's like cheesy you know right. it, it, and also, it really feels like it's completely and just like all of matt furnace's music he's so aware of
1: all the elements and not in an ironic way either absolutely and wh- another thing to mention is that i do know that this uh, at least in the soundtrack um is in an area where there seems to be some kind of pirate element. So I believe that swashbuckling nature of the the melody is something that I think is is very intentional. Now, one thing that's interesting is, is I have no doubts that the soundtrack is the best part of this game. I don't think this is a good game at all. Yeah, I'm pretty sure... The whole series is really considered to be not so great. But the music um, is the so great. good. And I do know that a lot of people are really big fans of this soundtrack. So, And how common is that for composers where it's like there'll be this awesome soundtrack like Silver Surfer, for example, where it's like one of the most classic NES soundtracks ever, but the game is absolutely terrible, you know? But no, that track is, has always been one of my favorites. And if I was going to show someone one Matt Furnace track, that would probably be the track I would show uh. them.
0: Yeah, I really so so it's very immediately catchy. Another thing I love about the melody, it sort of makes you think it's going to be a little bit of a sequence because you have da 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 da, mm da da da. But then instead of going duh, it goes duh-duh-duh-duh. It mm-hmm. keeps that that lower pitch is sort of what grounds the melody. So as it's moving up, it still jumps back to that pitch, which is just enough variance in the sequence to give the melody sort of a unique, slightly asymmetrical character, which is, I think one of the things that makes it so catchy and like hummable. Yeah,
1: I mean, just to put it simply, it's just a very catchy melody that has a great bass line, great drum beat, great form. Well, guys, we couldn't be more excited to now sit down and talk with Matt Furnace. So we're very excited to be joined today by Matt Furnace. Matt, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today.
2: No problem. Hey Carl.
0: Hey, hey Will. How you doing? We're doing great. Thanks so much. We're really excited to get to talk to you.
2: Oh, thanks for having me on the show.
1: Let's just get right into it, Matt. Uh, I'm really curious to know what your first love, what your first passion was. Was it, was it music? Was it programming? Was it something else? Maybe animation? Like, what was the first thing, like maybe when you were a kid, that you were really into?
2: Oh, I, I like the, uh, the programming. I, I got a computer. My first computer must have been a, 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 what was called a Sinclair ZX81, and I think I got that in, in 1981, and I, I learned how to program a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. And then um, soon after that, I, I was able to, to get um, another computer, which was the ZX Spectrum, which was a little better, and I could program that. But the thing is, both of those um, computers really didn't have any any sound. Uh, the ZX eighty one didn't have any sound at all. and The Spectrum just had a, a little beeper. Um, right. So, um, at the, so at that time, you know, I was uh, I used to play um, you know, a lot of video games in the arcades and things, and I, I noticed, you know, some games had really good sound. So I, I really wanted to to get into doing sound. So um, that was soon after that. That's when I, I really started to put a lot of attention into doing music and, and sound effects and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Well, it sounds like you were really interested in video games and sound from the beginning. But can you describe your specific musical background?
2: Um, well, I, I always had um, you know, keyboards and pianos and things around the house, so I was always playing. Um, I was always able to play the piano. I was just self-taught, and I'd play. Uh, I'd play the organ in the school and, and different things like that. And um, I was able to, you know, convince my my parents to get me a synthesizer in the 1980s. So I, I learned how to <laughs> to use the synthesizer and how to program all the different sounds and and things like that. So that's um, kind of how I got into it. But I never had any formal training, so uh, right. I just had to make my own way.
1: Do you think that was really common for a lot of your peers back in the 16-bit era? As far as a lot of these uh, untrained um, technicians that were that were doing the sound, was that kind of the norm? Would you say?
2: Sometimes yeah I think more probably more in the 16bit would have been a little bit more entrained because by then they'd managed to develop a lot of um, sort of tools to make it easier to make sound even if you didn't have um, you know technical knowledge or, or even you know mu- musical knowledge whereas I know uh, back in the 8-bit days it was more common for the, the sound designer to, to maybe even be probably classically trained and oh, right. be able to read write music and, and to be able to write. Their own uh, sound drivers in you know f- in machine code and, and that kind of thing, uh, but I think as as um, like so as it, as it progressed into sixteen bit, then then there became more tools, so more it made it more accessible. I think.
0: Interesting. Well, Matt, take us back. How did you get into the video games industry?
2: Um, well, it would have been uh, nineteen eighty nine, um, and I was still I was still at school at the time, but I, I always wanted to work in video games, so I. Um, I, I did have a Commodore Amiga at the time, and I'd um, I'd be making music for what was called the demo scene back then, and you'd right. music, and they'd have these sort of demos that had these scrolling messages and, and uh, sort of colors and things moving around. Yeah, we
1: actually had an episode on the demo scene, which oh, you might yeah? be curious to check out. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll
2: check that out. Um, but I um, so I did have um, some music and some demos, and I you know I put those um, songs onto audio cassette tapes, and I, I sent it out um, to different development houses in the UK. Um, to see if any any of them would be interested in, you know, maybe uh, give me a job so I could do this full time for games. Um, and how old were you when you sent those out? I was sixteen. Wow, quite the ambitious teen you were. Yeah, so <laughs> that's what I, I wanted to do. And I uh, luckily um, there was a, a company um, in a town called Rotherham, which is in England, and it was only um, a few miles from where I lived, and. Um, they were making, making video games at the time, and they were actually spun off from a company called Gremlin Graphics that did a lot of really good games in the 80s. And uh, they, they just happened, yeah, they were looking for uh, uh, someone to come in and do the, the sound, so they'd have an in-house sound guy instead of having to contract it out.
0: Well, what I think is so great, it really seems like a lot of those early demo scene folks were early adopters of games and just computer technology as an art form long before it became popular, even really widely accepted in the rest of the culture.
2: Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely a niche, uh, sort of a niche thing, I think, um, at the time.
1: And just kind of a cool pre-internet uh, idea of sharing your music or sharing your art with people around the world in kind of this kind of underground scene, you know, right. which I think was really powerful before the internet.
2: That's right. Yeah. And we'd, we'd have to send, you know, we'd send the discs through the through the postal mail and, you know, we'd use floppy discs and, and send, you know, discs around to each other. That's, that was the only way to do it. Um, you know, some, some people, if you were Wealthy, then you may be able to afford a modem, and then you could um, go onto the, the BBS systems and upload and download things. But it was um, most of, you know, what I did was just through the mail, I'd send discs and receive discs and see what everybody was doing.
1: Absolutely. Now, um, as far as getting on to the the Genesis, because and obviously the master system came before it, but I would I would say the Genesis is definitely what you're most known for. Uh, when when someone looks you up online, it's just insane how many titles you're credited to on the Genesis. So. Uh, can we kind of stay on the Genesis for a while? And I'm really curious to know uh, if you can kind of walk us through, I know it's been a long time, but your overall process from start to finish, as far as like you have an idea, you're working on a project, how did you actually implement the music on the Genesis back then?
2: Um, well, what, what I did back then, I was fortunate, the um, the person I worked for was uh, one of the managers, or it was a, one of the co-owners of the um, company I worked for, which was Chris C he, he was a technical director, a guy called Sean Hollingworth, who's a really good um, software engineer and a hardware engineer, and he was also musical. So um, I managed to convince Sean to make me a music development kit for the, the Sega, um, for the Genesis, because I, I don't think at the time there was even one commercially available, and maybe you just have to get it through Sega, and we didn't we didn't have a license. right? Um, so we, we were able to get all of the technical documents for the, the console and, you know, and how it all worked and how the sound trip worked. And Sean um, made a music development system and that actually ran on an Atari ST. Interesting. Yeah. So we had what was um, at the time was an Atari Mega ST, which was the big one with the, the four megabytes of memory. And um, so I could use that to edit sounds and that actually connected to the Sega Genesis um, from the joystick ports on the Atari ST, so it had two joystick ports, that went into a serial port, no, it went from the serial port on the Atari to the joystick ports, that was it, on the Genesis, and it would send, and it would actually send the music data in in real time, which I think even all the other systems that other people were using, you they didn't have that ability to really hear and write in real time, so you'd write your music. Uh, maybe in a MIDI sequencer, and then you'd have to run it on Genesis, and you'd have to listen to what it sounded like, and then go kind of do this back and forth thing, which was a little time-consuming. But whereas I could actually make the sounds in real time, write the music real time, and actually hear it as it would hear sound in the game, um, so I had that system, so I could you know make all all the different sounds, and I could completely customize you know all all the um, what was the sound chip was doing and make you know it had samples and really good drums and you know all these kind of things um and that made it really powerful system to write totally any kind of music and and do it fairly quickly as well which is which is really good
0: that's super interesting uh would you say you were more concerned with like was there a debate between um you know technical ingenuity or you know musical ingenuity what what were you more uh concerned with as far as like kind of focusing on the quality of the melodies and the tunes or was it really about kind of pushing the boundaries of the hardware and making it sound you know legit
2: i think i think it's a balance of both because um, i'd always play a lot of genesis games and i'd hear other music that i really liked and and i'd always want i'd always hear you know technically things that i'd, I'd want to be able to do um so i want to i want to sort of always up my game technically make make the sounds better make make it just sound um as refined as you'd hear on maybe uh, some other games but also you've got to have a good tune behind it so you know, without a good melody, then nobody's going to want to listen to it. So Absolutely. for me, it's a balance of both because, you know, you've just got gamers at home. They don't really care about the technical aspects. They just want to hear a good tune. But you've got to be aware that your peers may be listening to, to what you're doing. And, you know, so you want to you want to make sure that you, you put it on your A game and really bringing it as far as it goes, you know, technically.
0: Do you think other, like your other composing peers, do you think they sort of shared your philosophy as sort of uh, a balance between music and uh technological ingenuity.
2: I th- I think so yeah definitely yeah because you you know you'd always see uh, particularly on Amiga like new sound drivers coming out that people write into you know increase the number of sound channels so that's a you know a technical thing people are using to to enable them to then even you know write better music then because you can have more sound channels and more compositions better memory usage better uh sample quality. Yeah. You know.
1: Well, that really makes a lot of sense. That's why one of the reasons I was so curious to hear about your system and, you know, that system that you said Chris helped you with, because your music on the Genesis is just so confident and it really does feel lush and enjoyable to listen to. And the Genesis was a system that there was a lot of diversity when it comes to how good everything sounded. There were a lot of soundtracks that were just, to be honest, very shrill and piercing and something that you would not want to listen to in 2015. But I think a lot of your work on the Genesis really holds up nowadays. Do you ever go back and listen to it?
2: I I do sometimes, yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate that um, a lot of people have been... You know, people that are interested in video game music have been capturing all the sounds from not just obviously my music but all mm. every game ever made now it seems like there's a youtube yeah. video and, and someone's put a collection of all the, the music or you can run these uh they run the games on the emulators which is which is good because if we didn't have that then i'd have to actually you know put the actual physical cartridges in a machine and, and play them right which um, i'm probably not going to do so it's um, really, it's really great that there's a lot of fans that, that are capturing all these old um, video game soundtracks, tracks that you know everybody can enjoy them.
1: Yeah, we touched on this a little bit, but back in that day in the 16-bit era, and, and it's just so fun for us to kind of have an episode. Really, that is kind of focused on that because that's probably our both of our favorite era musically. I think there's just so many exciting things happening, but back then, uh, who were some of your biggest game music influences? People that when you heard their soundtracks, you were just like, ah, oh, I gotta try to up my ante i gotta try to do some of this
2: um well on sega genesis i, I think it was always yuzo kashiro um i think he he uh, you know made the best um genesis music and um i don't know his, i can't remember his name but it was the, the musician that worked for. i think it was techno soft that did a lot of you know thunder force and gauntlet and those um those games they had right. really really impressive music but like i said particularly you know yuzo kashiro um was the best on sega genesis um and then the other um, musician that I really loved was a guy called Tim Follin that did oh amazing, you know, absolutely amazing work on the Super Nintendo, on the Nintendo um, Commodore 64. I mean, just consistently um, amazing compositions, technically brilliant, um, and you know, my, in my mind, he's a, a genius. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's so interesting that you mention Yuzo Koshiro and Tim Fallon specifically because oftentimes when people are talking or thinking about video game music they sort of uh categorize it in their head geographically and I think Yuzo Koshiro being sort of a a prime example of a lot of great uh Japanese video game composers and sort of he embodies a lot of the strengths that a lot of his uh Japanese peers embody and I think Tim Fallon um in that same kind of light embodies a lot of the things that make Western composers kind of more unique in the world of video games. Do you think that there's sort of a, a difference in style and philosophy between Japanese video game composers and Western video game composers?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think it's just the cultural sort of heritage of the music, maybe that you would be growing up listening to. Obviously, Jap- you know, the Japanese is more, they're trying to emulate the Western sound, which is a little different to being... A Western American music, whereas in Tim Follins music, you can definitely hear those progressive rock um influences. Right. And it's you know, you can hear Jethro Tull in there and you know mm. Emerson Lake and Palmer and but and all these progressive yes. rock bands that you can really hear that influence yeah. in there. So I think you can hear those very specific influences in the Western music, whereas the Japanese is more of a um just a general influence of Western style music and and trying to you know, make those um, Western-style chord progressions and the Western-style arrangements, I think.
0: I think that's really true. Also, I think sometimes it it seems that... I get the sense that a lot of the Japanese composers are a little bit less concerned with... um, being on the cutting edge technically and that oftentimes they're like my favorite music from Japan is just because it's you know wonderful beautiful melodies but somebody like Tim Fallen, like I mean I love his music but at the same time he's doing things that I could never imagine that hardware performing <laughs> I mean whether it's stuff on the Commodore 64 or you know the NES like he's always just blowing my mind with how impressive it's sounding technically
2: yeah I think so I mean I think just as one you know, clear example is a lot of the, the Western music that we use the, the fast arpeggiator style right. um, sound yeah. to, to simulate the chords, and you, you rarely hear that in, the, in any Japanese music, even on the NES, where obviously you have got three sound channels. That's something you might want to do just to increase the um, what you know sounds like you've got more sound channels there. But Western mm-hmm. music always a lot of arpeggiators and that kind of effects, whereas not so much on the Japanese. So maybe that's, that's so one true. instance of you know te- technically being pushing the envelope a little more, I think.
1: I kind of think of that as almost like the demo scene sound, really, when I think of those faster arpeggiation techniques. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I agree, yeah.
1: That's really awesome. Well, you have almost more of a firsthand insight than anyone else on really the power and the charm of FM synthesis. Uh, so, if you were to describe to this to someone who has no idea what we're talking about—that uh, you know, that classic Yamaha FM synth chip of the Genesis—what was it about that chip uh, that was so perfect and so tailor-made for um, interesting music?
2: Um, FM synthesis was was very powerful when it when Yamaha um, sort of unleashed it on the world. I think it was the DX7 synthesizer where they first used it, and that it gives you a very different sound because before then, with um, analog synthesizers, you just have you know a couple of oscillators and modulators and a couple of basic waveform types. Um, so everything's going to sound like a you know like a square wave or a triangle wave or a sawtooth. But with F, with FM synthesizer, it really allows you to just Create these different kind of morphing waveforms where you can sweep. You know, as you hear in Genesis, like a classic Sega Genesis music, you can hear these sweeping sort of modulations of of sound that can go from sort of really dark to really bright and shrill, and and then they can sweep back down. And you you couldn't do that with with other systems, and you you know you yeah. can't do that with. Um, like a wave, uh, like a sample or a wavetable based system, like the Super Nintendo, Just you can't do those kind of sounds with, with samples. So you, yeah. you need the ability to really modulate the, the sound from each channel, which FM is perfect for. And then with the Genesis, you've got seven sound channels. Um, plus, you've got the um, programmable sound generator, which is the three channels from the um, Sega Master, Master System, system yeah. still in there. And the ability to play. Um, you know sample sampled sounds on one channel, which is perfect for you know for percussion and drums and things like that.
1: Yeah, and just the combination of that plus the noise channel plus the PSG and all that coming together is just such a lushness of sound and such yeah. a diversity of sound that is just not possible with the Super Nintendo. I know you did have some experience. I'm not sure if I would assume you would write the music a lot of times for the Genesis and have to make the, the difficult ports to the Super Nintendo. Do you want to talk a little bit about maybe your, your experience working with those samples?
2: Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what I would do. Um, there's a, I didn't do a lot of Super Nintendo music, um, but one um, which probably more well known would be um, Mickey Mania, which I did write all right. the music originally on the Sega Genesis, and
0: with Michael Giacchino, I believe.
2: Um, I think he he had um, some. I think he did have some work on that project as well. Yeah, um, there's there's a, quite a few people involved. Right on that one.
1: Yeah, I do think the crediting if you if you get the actual like Genesis version, uh, like the VGM soundtrack, there is I think it, d- it does break down the track crediting, which is very nice. But yeah, you were saying
2: probably about half I think about half the music was actually composed by me, um, and then cool. maybe half was was split between uh, Giacchino, and there was also a company in the UK that would make music called Blythe Joustra, I think they they yeah. wrote some some music for that one as well, um, and because they were doing the mega CD um soundtrack so once that was done they you know uh, disney and sony said oh we like you know we want to take some of those tunes and then have those converted back onto the sega genesis so it's oh, okay. a l- little bit of a back and forth um you know sometimes it went the other way you know i wrote the music for pugsy on sega genesis and they liked that so much then they had the studio actually just take my compositions and just transcribe them directly into you know CD format,
1: yeah. So, oh man, I can't imagine that. Pugsy is just such the definitive version of that music. It's really some of the most expressive Genesis music. Uh, but but yeah, getting back to the SNES, what were some of the challenges you faced uh, in in like for example when you were working on Mickey Mania?
2: Um, well, you've got uh, very little memory to store all the samples that you might want. So if you've you know created a piece on on the Sega Genesis, you you really don't have a, such a limitation on the the number of types of sounds you can have. Because they take a very little memory, because they're synthesized. But if you've got, you know, um, twenty or thirty different instruments on the Sega Genesis, that's going to be very difficult to uh, fit into the memory on the SNES. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it difficult. Um, and then, like I said, you're making the compositions. You're really writing them with in mind of the type of synthesis you've got. So if you want to do these really big modulated sweeping sounds, and if that's, right. if, that's key, if that's a key part. Of maybe one of the songs you've written, then that's going to be difficult to convert that over to the Super Nintendo, because you just you yeah. don't have the ability to make those those kinds of sounds. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Wow, I, I had no idea about that. That's that's kind of cool, though, to think about encountering those problems. From I mean, oftentimes I think people would think of uh, those kind of quirks of the Super Nintendo especially at the time probably, of being benefits, you know, getting to have these different kind of sounds and samples, but really you're losing something that was really fundamental to a lot of early video game writing.
2: That's right. I mean, ideally the, the perfect system would be something with a combination, I think, of synthesized mm-hmm. and um, sample-based sounds, but right. um, not really any systems had that. So it was kind of one or the other.
0: Well, you had a bit of experience uh, with subsequent generation systems, such as the uh, Nintendo sixty four and the original uh, PlayStation. Uh, what was your experience like working on those platforms?
2: Well, the um, the Nintendo sixty four. The only music I did for that was um, I did Excite Bike sixty four, and I did yeah. uh, um, Cruise in the World. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be another one in there, but for that, I didn't really use. Um, like traditional midi based um, music it was just they were just sort of big samples because those games they had big mm-hmm. they had a lot of space on the cartridge so we just make these big sort of looping uh, samples that maybe oh, nice. you'd take a couple you just take literally take you know two of two or four bars of music and uh, you know make a drum loop and you'd have a like a guitar loop and a bass loop and then you just sort of mix and splice them together to make to make the music that way which is how the that's how the music for uh cruising the world and for excite work. Oh cool. Um and the PlayStation that was that was fairly tricky um at the time to do PlayStation music you had to use uh the Sony soundboard which Sony made and that worked in a Macintosh is a like a, an expansion card you'd have to put it in a in a, a macintosh at a time and the, the software is really awful it would just crash all the time <laughs> and you'd have to you'd have to it would it would basically show up as like a virtual midi midi device in your sequencer and you'd have to load your samples and set all the loop points it was it was it was pretty hard to use but um i I, managed, I, made, I did manage to make some some fairly okay music there was um one of the m l b major league baseball games by nine eight nine studios has um some music in there which is actually you know it's playing off the real sound hardware using the uh, sampled voices and it it sounds pretty much like um sort of as if it was orchestrated and then actually just running off c d but it's uh, it's actually doing it so you could you could make some fairly impressive uh, yeah. music with the playstation
1: yeah i also i also checked out um the nanotech warrior soundtrack you did in p s one that's some cool stuff on that one as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just um, that's just straight red book CD audio. Nice. Nothing fancy there. So I just did that on my uh, MIDI sequencer and the synthesizers and just put down the tracks and uh, they just put it straight on the disc. Yeah, well, something that I'm very
1: curious about, you know, your name is just, just so uh, kind of tied to that 16-bit era. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the interesting things you've been up to since those days on the Genesis, where your career has taken you?
2: Well, after the, the Genesis, I, I moved... Um, what happened is I actually got a call from Disney in 1995 because um, I'd done you know, Lion King and Mickey Mania, and they were looking for I think someone who knew you know 16-bit music to come and work in the States, and work at their studio in Burbank. So they gave mm-hmm. me a call and said, "You want to come move to the States?" I said, "Yeah, you know, I'd love to do that." Um, but that was you know the tail end of the 16-bit era, so really at that point it was. Um, By the time I'd moved, everything had moved and PlayStation was out. Um, I'd already worked for Sony for a couple of years in the UK, worked on um, a couple of the first Sony PlayStation games like Salt Rigs and different things. Um, So I moved moved to Disney. I was working in the Burbank studio. I was doing music for – you know, I did little bits of work on like Toy Story and Nightmare Ned and Hercules and things like that. Yeah. Uh, And then worked there for a couple of years. Um, And then uh, after that – I moved down to Sony um, in San Diego. I worked for Nine Eight Nine Sports, um, but to be honest, you know that was a lot of sort of sports games and things I wasn't too into at the time. Right. Um, so I you know, stayed there for maybe a year or so. I moved moved back to to, to Burbank, um, which is near Los Angeles, and, and set up my studio there and did did some bits of work for uh, you know Excite Bike and I did Fear Effect and uh, some other CD, some yeah you know, a lot of CD-ROM game, PlayStation One games, those kind mm-hmm. of things. Um, and then I just—I didn't really want to do the music anymore because I saw one, once everything moved off the sound chips onto CD-ROM, i, I, I wasn't that interested anymore because I always enjoyed the technical challenge, right? To be honest, so um, I just got more into programming and yeah, did start doing a lot of web programming and got jobs doing programming, um, which which is what I've been doing for the last you know fifteen years. I work for, for Sony right now for Gaikai, and we we work on the uh, PlayStation Now. A game streaming system for sony so that's what awesome. I, I that's what i've been doing since then and still doing it now and um doing a little bit of music here and there still just for, for fun
0: would you ever see yourself you know returning professionally to the world of video game music
2: no i don't i don't think so uh, <laughs>
1: it's been too long <laughs> no
2: because I, I i like just doing it as a hobby now because it, it's just more enjoyable mm-hmm. without the mm-hmm. you know the pressure of um, having to constantly you know compose music to a to a schedule which i don't mm-hmm, have to do anymore. Right. yeah so i can actually just you know enjoy when i do it now just and just do it for fun yeah you know.
1: Well, what a, it's almost like what a wonderful detour you took because it's like, you know, starting off your love of programming and now kind of coming back to your true love. But, you know, that obviously that was always a part of your work, you know, having to program those sounds. But, you know, having this wonderful detour and having to work on all these games and now all these tunes that everyone, you know, can kind of stick with them. I think it's it's kind of a cool story to think about. It probably was never something you, you planned, uh, but it, it's kind of cool that now you can kind of come full circle in a way.
2: Mm-hmm, I think so, yeah. I, c- I could imagine myself maybe... Getting- getting back into it more as uh, just but purely on the technical side and on the composition side, maybe um, in that uh, in that format somehow might interest me. Um, but I have more recently been working, uh, did some project music for some Kickstarter projects and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. There's one um, cool. called, Pro, uh, called Project Sidology, uh, which some guys in the UK are doing where they're taking um, a lot of old Commodore 64 music and then re sort of reimagining it. Um, in a modern format um in the style of uh, like Vangelis and Jean-Michel Jarre making making new sort of mashup songs based on yeah
0: I was I was reading about that that sounds really cool
2: um so I've actually just finished writing a couple of tracks for that that's going to be released uh next year and I think it's going to be on like six albums now because there was so much um the kickstarter did really good um and reached a lot of stretch goals so um they had to keep promising more and more, so it went from you know two album to a from a two album to a six album so there's um, that's crazy of, so I'm working on that as a, as, a, as a sort of a guest composer, and there's some a lot of other uh, well known composers working on that as well um so I've been doing that. Um, that's the most recent thing I've been doing, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, Well. the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on, um, is there anything that you kind of hope to see going forward for kind of the the future in the modern age of video game music? Is there anything that maybe we can learn from uh, your time in the 16-bit era uh, that we can maybe kind of fuse with our modern technology that we have these days?
2: Um, yeah, well, I, think I think we're already seeing that, especially with the, you know, the, the Well, the indie title scene with a lot of these independent games that are more made to look and sound like 16 bit games. Yes. So I think we're seeing that now. I mean, I was, you know, recently I was playing a game that was, um, it's called Axiom Verge. It's kind of like a, Right, trying uh, to be like Metroid? Yeah, and it's really great. The music's so good because it's kind of Metroid, and it, it sounds like Trent Reznor meets 16-bit meets... <laughs> it's just such a great sound, and there's so many you know, good games. I've playing a game called Shovel Knight. Oh, mm-hmm. right. And Jake gosh. Kaufman. I totally, yeah, the music for that's just inc- And it, guys,
1: uh, I saw on on Twitter, uh, what was it, yesterday, Jake, he's at his studio writing more music. There must be a DLC right, coming. Right,
0: there's the Plague Knight... Oh. DLC, so he's writing new. Music. So yeah,
1: more music to come.
2: Yeah, so I think, so I think we're seeing that you know, with these, you know, these pure retro games, and then these crossover games that are taking a bit of the, you know, the modern versus the retro. So um, I think that's what you know, it's it's out there, and, and it's good that um, we you know, composers can write um, these these types of music now.
1: Yeah, it's a really fun time to be a fan. And also for us, uh, if you're familiar, we're kind of starting to get into the world of video game music composing as well. And, and I got to tell you, there, there's kind of a cool story. We recently working on this project and this designer came to us and it's kind of like a, it was a side scroller type of a Viking themed game and trying he, to be 16 bit. And and style. guess what he said? He's like, you know what? I really kind of want kind of a Matt furnace sound. Oh, really? yeah. Oh. So, he specifically yeah, mentioned so, you. <laughs> so, so, so no kidding. We actually kind of went back to, you know, Wiz and Liz and Love. Lost Vikings, since some of the soundtracks we worked on in the Genesis, and you know, really tried to do our take on that. So someday we'll we'll probably have to share with you
2: uh, that soundtrack. Oh, you might get a kick to, out of I it. I Definitely want to hear that. That sounds fun. Yeah, I want to hear that. I have heard some other. Um, composers where they've used some technology where they could actually use the the Sega Genesis sound chip and capture the sounds from the old games and then make new music using the old sounds. Yeah, which is really really interesting. Yeah,
1: really, yeah, that's super super fun. Definitely something we're interested in as well. Well, well, Matt, this was so fun talking. Thanks again for taking the time to talk with us.
2: Thanks, Carl. Thanks, uh, we'll appreciate it. Awesome. We'll have a great rest of your day. Okay, you too. Thanks, guys.
0: Well, that was sure fun. Thanks again to Matt for taking his time to speak with us. I I really love talking to him. That
1: was super, super fun. I'm always up for having a conversation that is so heavily on the Sega Genesis that's right. just something that interests me just beyond measure so that was such a treat to kind of have that focus but also go into uh, the cool directions too and also what's nice about this episode is you know as Matt mentioned he's no longer composing video game music so really it's almost like this look at this other era it's a very nostalgic yeah. episode in a lot of ways um, maybe for Matt as well you know to kind of think about you know what he was working on 20 right. years ago and stuff really cool Well, guys, now we're going to play a couple more tracks from Pugsy because it's so good. Uh, These next two tracks, I'm such a big fan of, and we've never played them on the podcast. Let's take a listen to a really good track called The Red Woods. Listening to the Redwoods from Pugsy. I love this track. This would this uh, is pretty much the closest thing to a track of the week that we're going to do this week. I don't think we need to actually like make the little jingle or anything, but this is such a wonderful track, and it's really one of the strongest examples uh, in his Genesis career. Where this sounds like Japanese to me. It does not sound like um, some of the Western Genesis music w- we hear in this era. It's just. Oh, it's so good. Well, what were some of the things that jumped out at you about this track? Well, again, I love those metallic
0: sounding bell decays. They almost sort of sound like. Gamelon instruments oh, or tubular bells. It's such a really good choice.
1: Not only the idea of doing that, but how he implements it on the Genesis. It's using the FM synth to you know its absolute strength. You know, it's doing things that are pretty easy to do on the right. Genesis versus something like the SNES. Well, I think
0: the other thing that I'm really noticing about a lot of uh, Furnace melodies that I really enjoy is there's sort of a duality between them of being a little bit primal, mm-hmm. something really simple and catchy, but also with more flourishes that kind of humanize and modernize it a little bit
1: one thing that I love about pugsy and he does it on a bunch of tracks is the idea of starting off with no drums going through the basic form and then having the drums come right, in that's it's a good something effect. that feels performed and feels like an actual song yeah but you don't hear that on the Genesis Well, it that also much. makes sort of the
0: um, the experience of listening to the music grow a little bit similar to how the experience of playing a game yeah. grows you know the, the more you the longer you play it the more invested you are and the more you start to really soak yourself into the mm-hmm. world of the game And so I think it really helps to sort of add layers to the
1: music just as the time passes. Yeah, that's so good. So last track of the day uh, of Pugsy, we're going to play a really beautiful track called Starfall Lake. Really cool track. You guys are listening to Starfall Lake from Pugsy, composed by Matt Furness. Such an optimistic track. You know, uh, we get some instruments that remind me, not surprisingly, of Starlight Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, a lot of times on on the Genesis, you hear instruments that remind you of other games because there's only so many settings, you know, on that FM chip. But this is a really beautiful track. And one thing that I think is important to note why we are having a lot of focus on this soundtrack today um, is because I think it is... In some ways a quintessential Matt Furnace soundtrack. I do think he kind of was going in a, a different direction than what he maybe normally did in this era. It right. seems like a very conscious kind of piece of work from him. Well, and I think a lot of these tracks we haven't played before or discussed mm-hmm. before.
0: So that's sort of a nice opportunity to get to do that. You know what I really like about this one? And again, just a lot of the um, songs and tunes in this soundtrack... Have it's just like a, a a quasi-soloistic feel to them. Yes. It, it almost feels like a, a more simple, kind of pure melody is hidden underneath them mm-hmm. and they're being performed in a in a little bit more of a soloistic, flourishy way. And I think that was really sort of an intention by Matt to give the music sort of a performed quality to it. He does not you we noticed in that last track with sort of that portamento slide into some notes, some mm-hmm. dotted rhythms and in, in general it, it just it, it feels like a lot of this music is
1: kind of of like there's unique pauses and a lot of different things. Well, one things. thing, I guess the easiest way to sum up Matt Furnace's music on the Genesis is it's full of life. It's yeah. very energetic, lively music that feels like you can't really think of it. I know this is how it was done because he talked about it, but it's almost weird to imagine that he's just like on a keyboard or just inputting these notes. Like It really feels like it's just always existed in, the, in this universe. So when yeah. you're playing the games, it's just got to be such an intuitive experience where it just feels so natural. Right. I, I think also sort of the optimistic
0: character of the chord progression and and, and sometimes there's some really interesting um, complex chord moments and harmonic right. moments that happen and the, the melodies are, this is an example of sort of where the melodies are married to the chord progression sure. and you know sometimes we talk about in um, game music particularly with you know stuff by like Koji Kondo where the melody really has that sort of independence where it's shaping the progression mm-hmm. this is another sort of end of the spectrum that's also really satisfying where you sort of have the Chord progression that's giving you the emotional Character Mm -hmm. and the melody is Serving it's almost like a a Frosting on on top of that Yeah, I actually really like that about this Pugsy soundtrack
1: wonderful well now we're Going to move on to um, another soundtrack That is on a different system let's play a track From the Game Boy this is a Racer that he did called Woody Woodpecker Racing and this is a really Cool track let's take a listen to track three from Woody Woodpecker Racing (laughs) big fan of that track. That was track three from Woody Woodpecker Racing for the Game Boy, composed by Matt Furness. A really gorgeous melody. Oh a, a hidden gem. This Definitely. Is, this is my track of the week. I love this. It's so good. This could have been so featured well on our uh, Game Boy music you may
0: yeah, not have heard. Hats off to Matt Furness and, and this track. Just, the, it's so well composed. I mean, all the chords just feel so authentic to that sort of Looney Tunes old cartoon yep. harmonic style. Just kind of... How
1: married it is to the old sort of vaudeville show tune yeah, type of. It's really music. good, and again, a very kind of obscure choice. Um, even when you're talking about Matt Furnace, I don't know if a lot of people would have was have chosen this, but I'm really a big fan of every once in a while when he tries to go Gosh, in a completely different direction. Uh, this section is so good too. Like, yeah. what a great
0: contrasting B section. The other thing, his use of the different registers in this track is particularly Im- impressive. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is able to have the limitations of the Game Boy, but it really feels like almost this busy orchestra, which reminds me of sort of the cartoon music where you almost hear yeah. the different instrument groups. Another thing I think is really effective, I mean, he so gave his all to this track, but he captures the spirit of the character Woody Woodpecker because <laughs> that counterline, line,
1: dee-dee, dee-dee, it, it really reminds sure, me of a meep, bird call. Meep, meep, meep. It, it's kind of like well, the, also, in the it, rhythm that... Doesn't, that doesn't that it also kind of remind you of a beep-beep, like the whistling of a bird like yeah, in the forest? Sort of, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. I, I, it's so clever, and, and it's really <laughs> fun. I don't know, I, I love Examples in video game music Especially when there's a track That's really bubbly, really fun Something that people would just take for granted But it has all this thought And really careful construction Symbolism, um, metaphorical imagery Put into it And who knows how much of it is intentional
1: But it's great Will, can you do What's that interval That classic bird whistle interval
0: (laughs) Nice job I I think mine was too much like pitches It's
1: not quite It's more like It's quarter tones (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it's something like that. Yeah, what I listen to at work is just loops of forest ambient music. That's, that's I like what the I sound. My favorite bird <laughs> sound is like the...
0: Where <laughs> it keeps getting faster. Yeah. yeah,
1: I love that one. If anyone is a is a really kind of big nerd of birds, let us know what bird makes that sound. It's pretty good, Will. All that's right, well, fun. I think it's fitting to close off the day with another kind of classic Genesis title screen. This is the title theme of Gunship. Here we go. Guys, thanks so much for joining us for the finale of our seventh season as we took a look at the music of Matt Furness. We had a great time talking with Matt and also kind of showcasing some of his best work on the Genesis. This was an absolute blast. Yeah,
0: so much fun. Uh, again, you just uh, it's a real treasure whenever we're able to talk to either um, a working composer or, or someone who's worked in the heyday of games. And Matt Furness is someone where it's just that name, like Carl mentioned at the top of the episode, he's so mm-hmm. prolific. That name is just... You know, it's it's so familiar yeah. to the show at this point And I think the other cool thing is getting to talk a little bit about Sort of the demo scene and the computer yeah. music Because that's another um, facet of that Not really video game music But definitely a whole kind of subgenre and subculture and you know That we focused on is in the show I
1: feel like a lot of our interviews have kind of common threads That we've talked about in multiple interviews Right. But one thing that's crazy is we've interviewed a lot of British composers Haven't that's we? It's true. almost like what we're known for at this point Yeah, maybe I mean, they're easier to get a hold of than the Japanese guys, aren't they? That
0: is, that's also But true. yeah,
1: guys, we're so excited. Um, next week is going to be the first episode of our season eight. Uh, we I We have can't a cool it.
0: tradition with our first episodes. We, we, we try to do something a little bit different for them, mm-hmm. um, so we're not going to give away what the topic is going to be, but it'll be sort of... Um, a different way, a different lens with which to view sort of the music in that playlist. Absolutely, Oftentimes those episodes are
1: more sort of editorial-like. There's a little bit more of of a a theme or a little bit more of a thesis behind those episodes. So that's going to be really fun. Guys, we're going to play you out with a track from The Second Samurai. This is Prehistoric Stage 1, composed by Matt Furness. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And
0: I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Thanks again to Matt Furness for taking the time to talk to us. You can follow him on Twitter at m furnace f-u-r-n-i-s-s um you can follow us at Mercado bros That's and correct. once again you can find um, all of these podcast episodes and all of our original music at super thanks again this has been a really fun season we hope you stick with us for the next one i hope you enjoy this track have a great week peace out